Good morning. How are you guys on Easter? That was not very heartfelt. That was not very excited. How are you guys on Easter? That's way better. Well, good morning. My name is Ben Killerlane. I'm the new pastor here. Um, Last week was my first Sunday, so if we have not met, that's not surprising. Uh, I would love to meet you. Um, if you're here from, if you're not normally a part of our fellowship, we're glad that you're here and you're, we're glad that you're sharing Easter morning with us. You should know that I don't always wear a tie. And in fact, this morning I wore one mostly so that we could take a good family Easter picture because um, my wife would like that. And in fact, just to give you a side note, I, I put on, I got dressed this morning. My son looked at me and he goes, Dad, why are you wearing your wedding pants? <laughs> so... He's not accustomed to me in this either, but it made sense to wear on Easter morning. We, this morning, we were celebrating Easter. The reality that Jesus Christ died on a cross, and that three days later, he rose from the dead. Allow me to read from Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They, they told all the things to the eleven and to all the rest. This morning we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week as we started into the story, we worked through the triumphal entry. And you see this man, Jesus, walking up a hill into the city of Jerusalem. And as Jesus comes in, people begin to worship him. And this stirring starts in the city where people start asking this question, who is this man? And we talked about it last week. That that's one of the most important questions anyone could ever ask. Who is this man? But equally important is the question, and what are you to do with him? What do you do because of Jesus? What does life look like because of him? So this morning, we want to look at what our lives look like in light of the cross and in light of the resurrection. How do we live because of the cross and because of the resurrection? So turn with me to Romans 6, page 799 if you have your Bible. If you have the Pew Bible, I guess your Bible is a different page. I won't keep track of all your page numbers. Romans 6.1 starts like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now this is a fascinating question to start off with. If you've not read the book of Romans lately, if you're not familiar, Romans is actually a long argument about the glory of God, the sufficiency of Jesus, and the inadequacy of man. In fact, if we were to walk you through it, and I'll give you like the 10-second walkthrough on Romans, which is going to be highly inadequate, the first three chapters start by talking about the struggle we have with the flesh and our desire to create rules so that we can stay on a narrow path and really deems from the very beginning that all men are sinners. 
Whether you try really hard and you create your set of rules like the Jews tried, or they're like you were like the pagans and you just went on sinning everywhere, that we're all sinners. In fact, it capitalizes that high point in the early part of Romans is 323. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a tremendous verse saying that we are all guilty of sin. All of us. And you know, I used to be really challenged by that verse. It used to be something that really just drove into me. I I felt like it was this verse that, I don't know, I felt so judged by. And then one day it occurred to me a great thing about that verse. A great thing. I was on the University of Memphis campus with a handful of college students. And we're out sharing the gospel with some other college kids. When it occurred to me while talking about this verse with some students. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. That means we are all in the same boat. Do you know what that does? This became one of the most freeing verses in all of Scripture to me. Because this verse makes it very clear that I can't be good enough. I can't even try to be good enough. That any attempts I make to try to be good enough are always going to fail. And it became a very freeing verse. And I started taking into consideration the next one. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That I walk as a man, not because I'm good enough. Not because I do the right things or I do the right actions or I can create the checklist and do the things that I need to do to make myself acceptable to God. In fact, the scriptures declare I am not and cannot do the things that will make me acceptable to God. The only thing that could make me acceptable to God is Jesus Christ. It's only him. It's only him. And that's why he died on a cross. Because it's only him that can take us to salvation. He is the only way. The book continues, Romans that is. Four and five make that so clear. That righteousness is achieved by faith in Christ alone. It's only because of him. So when you get to chapter 6 in this verse 1, what shall we say then? Or do we continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer is, can grace be abused? Absolutely, grace can be abused. Well, how do we live? What do we, how do we live? They, Paul answers the question, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? So now you've got another question to answer. If we start with the question of who is Jesus, and we get to what do you do with it, then you kind of come to the question, if we died, with, for, if we died in sin, if we died to sin, how do we live? Well, you've got two things you've got to deal with that. One is to recognize that when Jesus Christ died on the cross... You have to deal with that. And you either have to accept it and make it yours and say, my attempts to godliness, my attempts to righteousness will never make it. It will be to Jesus alone, and I will accept his crucifixion, or I won't. And if you choose to accept it, can you continue to sin? Can you continue in rampant sin? Paul says, by no means. An interesting direction that he takes in this text is how can we who died to sin still live in it? 
And an interesting theological distinctive is you find in the scripture that Jesus Christ's death was not only substitutionary, he did it on your behalf, but it was also representative that you were there. That's how Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. His death was representative of you. He took the punishment in your place. He took it on your behalf. And you get all the credit for it because of what Jesus did. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? And he asks a crucial question. How can we died to sin still live in it? Well, because of the cross, and because of the crucifixion, and because of the death of Jesus Christ, we're forgiven of our sins. How then should we live? Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we're about to walk into three pretty important statements. There are three no statements that we're going to come into. This is the first one. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The very picture of baptism, the very picture of baptism, you should know baptism is not a salvific act. There's nothing that saves you about it, but it joins you in the representation of the crucifixion. That as you are baptized, you are laid into water. And as you go in un- under the water, it's representative of you dying and being buried. And the very picture of baptism is you going under the water and you coming out, you being resurrected into something else. It's a representation of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. So when he articulates that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. That the thing we need to know about this is that we've been baptized into his death. We'll get more to that in a minute. We've been baptized into his death, and that's crucial. You need to understand with the scriptures, when it says know something, the idea of knowledge isn't an American 20th, 21st century understanding of knowledge. Because you can know something and never apply it. When I'm telling you, you need to know this, I'm telling you, you need to own it. It needs to be a truth that you hold on to. When he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And it's that beautiful picture of baptism that as you'd be baptized into his death, that you would come out new, fresh, and resurrected. In verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. If you were to turn into Ephesians 1, Verse 18 and 19, you don't have to, just later study. Ephesians, it's actually 19 and 20. Ephesians 19 and 20 articulates it this way. That when Jesus Christ, was di- when he died, and he was raised from the dead, the same power that was exerted in the Son through the Father is the same power that Jesus Christ gives you to live by every single day. 
Do you recognize that? The resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is yours to live by, according to the book of Ephesians, which we would call truth. Verse 5, for if we've been united with him in his death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. That if we've been united with him in his death, if, if we've been represented in his death, we will be represented in his resurrection. And the second truth comes out in six. We know, it's another truth statement, something you need to know, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The second truth is know that your old self has been crucified. It becomes really important. We'll get to why. The idea, though, As in your crucifixion, you were set free from a bondage to sin and to slavery. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. If you have been set free from sin, sin no longer owns you. It is no longer your master. You no longer have to obey it. You no longer have to follow it. And that's the power of the crucifixion to the believer. In light of the cross, sin no longer is your master. You can choose something else. It doesn't own you anymore. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. There's a big difference between struggling with sin and living in it. This doesn't mean you won't struggle with sin. We all do. I do every day just means we won't be a slave to it. And you get the third true statement in verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. This third truth, knowing that Christ will never die again, knowing that you've been baptized into his death, the first one, that your old self has been crucified, the second, knowing that Christ will never die again, you will not have to die again, death has no dominion over you, means this, that Christ's sacrifice for you at the cross was sufficient. He doesn't have to do anything else about it. You don't have to do anything else about it. If you've claimed Jesus Christ as your Savior, his death at the cross was sufficient for you. Death has no more dominion. Christ doesn't have to be re-crucified for the daily acts that you commit. When Jesus Christ died on a cross, he died for the sins you committed yesterday. He died for the sins you'll commit this afternoon. He died for the sins you'll commit five years ago. He is totally aware of who you are in your sinful nature. He made it clear in Romans 3.23. He knows you. And he made a completely sufficient sacrifice in the life and death of his son at the cross. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This passage, if you wanted to break it down, if you wanted to kind of figure out the nuances of it, there are these three major no statements, things you need 
to know. You need to know that you've been baptized into his death. You need to know that your old self has been crucified. You need to know that Christ will never die again. And it comes together in verse 11. So you must consider yourselves. The idea here is because of these things, because of this knowledge, you need to live with this understanding that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if we walked in this morning with the two questions of who is Jesus and what do you do with him, then you come to Jesus Christ on the cross and you come to him resurrected. And you have to ask the question, how does one live in regards to the cross and how does one live in regards to the resurrection? Well, the first way is to live in regards to the cross. And that's to understand that the only sacrifice that makes any eternal difference is the death of Jesus Christ and it is the only path to salvation for you and for me. We have to reconcile ourselves at the cross. Will we accept his free gift of salvation offered to all of us? It's how we have to live in regards to the cross. And if you've given yourself unto Jesus and you've claimed this salvation and you understand that you, you aren't good enough, you can't be good enough, your best efforts aren't good enough, and you've come to Jesus and you understand that, then you need to take the next step of understanding how do you live in regards to the cross? You understand that sin has no mastery over you anymore. It is no longer your owner. You've been set free. You can make other decisions. You can go in other directions. Sin doesn't own you. In light of this, we have to remember that Jesus went to the cross not only for us, but because of us. He went to the cross for us because we desperately needed it. He went to the cross because of us, because it was our sin that took him there. It's only his death that's sufficient for our need. We are freed from trying to do good. We are freed from being defined by our past or our past sins. And as we consider this, and we consider this passage, and we consider these truths, we need to understand that there are only two historical events that should define the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. There are only two. And it's no sin you committed in college. And it's no sin you committed after college. And it's no sin that something happened to you or you did. or It's none of those things. The only two historical events that ought to define the life of a believer, when we look back as a man that changed my life, ought to be the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because the cross changed everything. But so did the resurrection. Because when you come to the resurrection, you have to understand that I have been made alive to Jesus Christ. I've been made alive. And that same power that God used to raise his son from the dead is alive and well in me. And if God can raise his son from the dead, do you think that he's unable to resurrect you? Do you think there's any aspect of your life, any part, any little box or nook or cranny of your life he can't totally resurrect? If he can physically take a dead man and bring him back into life, what more can he do with your life? You're already alive. Christ was sufficient. He's taken care of you with his son, and he's made open and available the life you can live in the spirit. It's yours. It's yours, the power to live by. How do you live in regards to the cross? You recognize his death was sufficient. How do you live in regards to the resurrection? 
you understand the power you have to live by is enormous. The power you have to live by, according to John 1, created the universe. You want your life to look beautiful and awesome and pretty, like the stars in the heavens? Turn to Jesus, because that's what he does. He takes nothing and makes beautiful things. That's what Jesus does. We have the power, and he raises us from the dead. And there's no part of our life that he cannot resurrect in the same way that he did his son. There is no part of our life where the brightest light in all of eternity can't shine and heal and regrow. It's Jesus. Who is this man and how do you live with him? What do you do? How do you live in light of the cross and how do you live in light of the resurrection? To live in light of the cross is to understand that there's nothing you can do that's good enough. There's nothing that you could do that would satisfy the demands of a holy and a righteous God. But you don't have to. None of us do. To live in light of their cross is to understand that Jesus' death was sufficient for your life. You don't have to make up for it. God doesn't have an eternal checklist. He's not going, yep, he went to church this morning. He opened his Bible on Wednesday. Good enough for me. It's not who he is. That's not his heart and it's not his character. His death was sufficient for you. And to live in light of the resurrection is to understand the great hope, the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That regardless of your struggle, regardless of your pain, there is resurrection in Jesus, accomplished by him at the cross, accomplished at the raising from the dead. I hope that you'll consider those things. I hope that you'll own those things. If those are truths that you own, dig into them more. If they're truths that you haven't, consider Jesus Christ. Consider the claims. I know some of you are tired tired of trying to do the list and and be good enough and tired of getting worn out of trying to achieve. Consider Jesus. Let me pray for us. Righteous and heavenly Father, there's not one of us that doesn't have a sin problem. Me, Ben Killer Lane, foremost, There's not one of us that doesn't have a sin problem. And yet it was your son who saw our sin problem. And he didn't give us a recipe. Ben, do this, do this, do this, and you can come back to me and I'll forgive you. He didn't give me a, a, a set of rules that I needed to follow. He saw that I had a sin problem and he resolved it by dying on the cross for my sins declaring from that point forever that the only thing sufficient for my need was his son. And Father, thank you for the resurrection, that the same power that you would raise your son from the dead, you give us to live by, that you resurrect us still. 
For those who don't know you, you transfer them from darkness into light. For those of us who know you, you still resurrect parts of our life. You breathe life into us and you give us healing. This Easter morning, we remember Jesus and we're thankful for his death and we're thankful for his resurrection and all that it means to our lives. Jesus, thank you. It's by your name we pray. Amen.